This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. I mean, you're living in your mother's basement writing a blog on finance. Really, you should stay off the computer, son, and get a job. Seriously. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. What does the word diversification really mean? Today, our roundtable breaks down, count them, five myths about diversification. And by the end of that discussion... I bet you'll go all in on one single stock. Oh, that's that's not what it means? All right. Well, okay. To help us dismantle diversification, we welcome from the Freelance Writer Academy, it's our longtime friend, Miranda Marquette. And from the uber-diversified Afford Anything podcast, it's Paula Pant. And finally, a guy who probably needs to diversify more by spending a lot less time in the basement from this here podcast, it's OG. Plus, are you a money nerd who thinks making podcasts, videos, or writing blogs would be fun? If so, today we'll introduce you to the conference that's helped launch a bunch of brands, including this one. We'll talk to the team behind FinCon. Finally, we'll make sure to magnify a lucky listener's money. And of course, I'm out to stump you with my high-flying trivia. And now, a guy who should diversify out of the basement and out of my grill, it's Joe Saul Seahide. Well, if Doug didn't give me a reason to be up in his grill, I wouldn't be. Hey, everybody, welcome to Friday Fun Day. Let me be the first one to welcome you. I am Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me again for another Friday, it's my good friend, OG. What's happening? This feels like the finish line, doesn't it? Like we finally made it to the weekend. Every day's a weekend with you. <laughs> Actually, every day is almost a weekend with you. Just not quite. Just almost, but absolutely not quite. Well, half the fun of this weekend is that we get to spend it with the woman from Afford Anything, Paula Pant. Absolutely. You know, if, if every day is almost a weekend, but not quite with you, I guess that means every day is Friday. So Ab- how appropriate. I know. It means uh, I'm okay with having happy hour, Paula. I don't have any job <laughs> I have to go to tomorrow. I mean, that's a good deal. Right, right, exactly. In fact, why not just make the weekend all seven days of the week? That's That seems like if some is good, more is better. I totally, we, we need to put that on the ballot. Forget everything else going on the ballot. 
that's got to be on, on a ballot. And a woman who has been all about the ballot in her home state of Idaho, and she's not here talking about ballots. She's here talking about, well, diversification today. It's our good friend, Miranda Marquit. How are you? Hey, doing well. And since you said happy hour, I wish I had brought my drink. <laughs> I did it wrong again. Which is amazing because we record this, Miranda, at 6 a.m. and you're already talking about drinking. Well, you know, if we're putting stuff on the ballot, let's go ahead and put day drinking on the ballot. <laughs> that should be that should be a shoe in. Like, I got to tell you, I like day drinking while I'm doing it, but there is nothing, OG, like the regret that you feel an hour later. And like regret, I fifteen. Yeah, yeah, regret meaning the the nap I want to take. I'm unmotivated the rest of the day. Just ugly. I was just gonna say, you don't have the regret if you just go ahead say, forget it all and just go ahead and go and back just to bed. keep going. Just, just do it. Just crawl oh, back into bed. And then there's no regret. This, this show has already gotten off on the wrong foot, which is like every other Friday, but we got a lot of fun today. We're going to talk diversification. We got Miranda here. We got OG here. We got Paula here. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Today's piece comes to us from the Wall Street Journal. It was written by Mir Statman, and it's called Five Myths About Stock Diversification. And I thought we'd go through this because I think people think they understand diversification or understand what's great to know about diversification. But this really, I think, uh, shines a light on a lot of things that people think. And Miranda, as the guest, I think we'll start with you. Myth number one here says diversifying a portfolio beyond 12 to 18 stocks offers no benefits. The author here says that it does offer some benefits. Do you think diversification beyond 12 to 18 stocks matters? Well, as somebody who is a confirmed indexer and who technically has thousands of stocks in her portfolio, I think you got to to look at it in terms of what's working for you, what's going to work for your personal goals and values. And if you are going to invest in individual stocks rather than being lazy like me, you know, they do talk about 12 to 18, but I actually know investors and planners that, you know, prefer to have 20 to 30 different individual stocks. So while you may not get a huge bump from diversifying beyond that 18, it's not the end of the world. And it's probably not going to destroy your portfolio in the long run, as long as you know why each thing is in your portfolio, what it's meant to do there and how it's going to help you reach your goals. Is that the important thing for you, OG, is what Miranda's talking about, knowing why something's in your portfolio? Well, I think from a diversification standpoint, what you're looking for is the word correlation. So like what's What's the thing that you're getting for having the other thing? So, you know, he talks about going from 18 to 19 stocks. And is that better from a diversification standpoint? Yes, unless you're buying the exact same thing that you already have. If you're saying, you know, what's better, Google or Microsoft, you're not getting a lot of diversification benefit. You are getting some, which I think is his point. But back to what Branda said, this is easily solvable by just having an ETF or an index fund, or even if it's a gosh darn actively managed mutual fund, you're getting a tons and tons and tons of exposure to lots of different positions with one trade and with one uh, single position. The problem with doing it from an individual stock standpoint is that that marginal cost adds up. You have to think about it. You have to track it. You have to make sure it doesn't over concentrate in one area and, and handle all that on your own. Just make it easy and go with the ETF. 
Well, Paula, as somebody who owns ETF herself, you know, if you own the S&P 500, you own 500 companies. Do you think that that's too much diversification versus the 12 to 18 they talk about here? It depends on your goal. I mean, if your goal is to be a long-term investor who wants your portfolio to perform as well as the overall economy, then indexing is the way to go. So getting a broad market index fund like an S&P 500 fund or a total stock market index fund, diversifying with a few different types of asset classes, all in the realm of broad market index funds or ETFs, like that's the way to go. Typically, when somebody wants to buy individual stocks, they're trying to beat the market. And I don't recommend that because studies show that almost nobody can beat the market reliably over time. But in the context of a conversation about individual stocks, the person who is looking for 12 to 18 to 30 to 50 plus individual stocks is not somebody who is looking for the objective, the same objective that broad market indexing would have. So I think it's like you've got to have two conversations for two different audiences. Well, that makes sense. So what you're saying is if your goal isn't to have market returns, if it's actually to get rich off of your investments, while more than 12 to 18 is safer, fewer than 12 to 18 will possibly be the thing that makes you wealthy. Yeah. I mean, there's that expression, put all of your eggs in one basket and then watch that basket. But again, that is one philosophy of doing it. It is not what I personally believe or would recommend. Um, and I think in the context of a conversation about individual stocks, the point that this article is making is if you are going to go into the individual stock picking game, don't buy into the idea that you can top out at 18 and after that you're good to go. You know, adding more to the portfolio will certainly there is like decreased marginal utility going from, you know, 18 to 19 versus going from one to two. But decreased marginal utility is not the same as no benefit. Yeah, I like that in the piece. The cost of buying the other, what, 480 stocks that you get with the S&P 500, to this author's point, is zero, right? You, you get the, you get more diversification, and, and, uh, and that helps. Miranda, back to you. Myth number two here, owning a handful of stocks you know is safer than a portfolio of thousands of stocks you don't know. We hear this all the time, don't we? Yeah, um, indexing. <laughs> <laughs> But we do hear you and I oh back gosh, on the Money so Tree boring. podcast. It's so boring. <laughs> but on the Money Tree podcast, we would have people write us about this all the time that I'd rather have a bunch of stocks yeah. that I, you know, a few stocks that I know than this index with a bunch of stuff I don't know. Well, and I think it goes back to what Paula was talking about and saying, you know, these are two different conversations with two different goals. If you are looking to um, make some money and potentially beat the market and that's what you're trying to do and you're trying to beat the market, then yeah, you definitely want stuff you know. You just do. You want to make sure you know it. You want to make sure you understand it and that you're going to choose something that you know will work for you. So I think that that kind of makes sense from that standpoint. Uh, however, once again, I mean, if there are some stocks that you don't know or, or investments that you don't know that you've got in your, like, I don't know much about real estate, but I've got me some REITs. You know, I've got some real estate investment trusts and that allows me exposure to real estate. I don't know a lot about it, but I understand what REITs do. So it does kind of help me add that piece to my portfolio because I want that exposure. So back so, to what you were actually back to what you were talking about before then, it isn't that, you know, real estate up and down. It's that you know what it does for your investment yeah. portfolio. Yeah, for sure. And and I just, I think it goes back to that whole idea of why is it there? What are you trying to accomplish with your portfolio? And is it going to do something different 
for your portfolio than what you already have, like Goji mentioned earlier. Well, Paula, you know, only a few stocks move the market. So if you only own a handful of stocks, you're much more likely to get ahead with that portfolio than by watering it down. I mean, Miranda has REITs that, that she doesn't know, you know, she said she doesn't know much about real estate. Doesn't that hurt your chance for a good return? Well, to the beginning of your question was only a few stocks are the ones that drive the market. The probability that of the thousands of stocks that are out there, you would pick the few that drive the market, or you would pick even one of the few that drives the market is pretty low. Are you talking um, to me personally? Is, is, <laughs> no, this, no. is this because you've known me for a long time? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, it says here, you know, the best performing 4% of stocks each year collectively account for the total gain of the stock market since oh. 1926. Right? I, thought, I thought you were ripping me. I'm like, Paula, I'm right here. <laughs> Any given person's probability of choosing one of those top performing stocks is low given that there are thousands of stocks out there, more than uh, 3,500 publicly traded stocks. And if you are sorting through all of those, what are the chances that you're going to pick five that are the flyaway winners? Not that good. Do you get this, OG, with uh, investors where they'll say, you know, I don't know much about that asset class. You're recommending an asset class in their portfolio. Let's say it's gummy bears. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Or, or small cap value, let's say. Somebody says, well, I don't know much about any small cap stock. So can we just exclude that one? Do you get that from people? Well, uh, it has happened. Um, I think that the problem with this, you know, invest in what you know, if, if you're really being honest with it, what is it the companies that you know right now? I bet you everybody knows Amazon. Everybody knows Tesla. Everybody knows Microsoft. Everybody knows Google, Facebook, Netflix, all these companies. Oh, I know those. Well, what did you just do? You just put together a list of the top five or 10 performing companies because I know that. This is a far different thing than, you know, an organization or working for an organization rather that, you know, has a stock program that you can participate in and you're intimately familiar with what's going on in the company. And I'm not talking about talking about being an insider. I'm just saying that when you work in an organization, you can kind of see what's going on on the ground. I think that's a different thing of knowing what you are investing in what you know versus uh, this mythical investing in what you know, which just happens to be the list of the top 20 stocks this year or whatever. And Paul is right. I mean, the reality is, is that it's very difficult to pick the winner out of all of this to your question about uh, the specific asset class, just because you don't know what it's done or you can't put your finger on a specific company within that sector doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't have a benefit. You know, the benefit of having all of this academic research is that you can design investment portfolios specific for you and specific for the things that you're trying to do. I wouldn't say that outperforming the market is a financial planning goal. That's that's not a goal. A goal is, you know, I want to send my kids to college and not have to write a check on the back end, or I want to retire with lifetime sustaining income and never run out. Those are goals. And so you can just design based on the collection of things, big companies and small companies and U.S. companies and not U.S. companies, you can say, well, what's the right amount of those things put together that gives me a high likelihood of reaching that? Myth number three on the list here is owning an index fund provides you with diversification. And it's funny, Miranda, since <laughs> you've led every question I've asked you with as an indexer, what do you say to that one? Owning an index fund doesn't give you diversification. Say it's not so. 
a few years ago, I went through and looked at my, just looked at what I had in terms of index funds, index ETFs, and, and other assorted investments and realized something that I had an index ETF that followed the S&P 500, but I also had an S&P 500 index fund. So that's not diversification. I, I had... I had two funds that were doing the same thing. You got like, had, you've got like, and the, so, so you actually do have to pay attention and watch out for that. The other thing too, is if you're just relying on an S and P 500 index fund to do the whole thing, as the article points out, you're missing out on small caps. You're missing out on other types of investments that you might get into if you're just, if you've just picked one index fund. So, you know, now looking at my, my strategy, I mean, we want to talk about the up to 18 stocks or whatever, I have different index funds and different in index ETFs that with different asset classes or different things that do something else. So, I mean, I do have that S&P 500, but I also have a small cap. And OG can tell me I'm wrong. It, it'll be fun. But yeah, it's just because you have one index fund doesn't mean you're diversified. I don't think that you're wrong at all. As a matter of fact, what I was going to say is, is that <laughs> awesome. the vast, the vast majority, well, Let's just say I don't know. It doesn't sound like you're wrong. The vast majority of people, however, will do what you're talking about, which is to say, like, well, I've got this S&P fund in my 401k and I've got this large cap growth ETF in my Roth and then I've got a large cap growth technology ETF in my brokerage account. I must be diversified. It's like, well, no, take a look at the top 10 holdings in each one of those. They're the exact same. Amazon, yeah. Apple, Netflix, you know, it's the same thing. So you have to be okay with having the thing that's not doing the best right now. You know, it's very difficult to sit there and own international investments right now. It's very difficult to own emerging market right now when for 10 years, large U.S. growth companies have beaten the pants off of everything by a large margin. And then there's people like this fellow writing this article here and people like me and, and all of us here saying, no, you should have some small caps. But if you're not careful, that drifts and you start going, well... Maybe I don't need any of that because the only thing that's doing good is my S&P fund. That's what drove me crazy was people looking at investments over the short run going, but that's not doing any good. Why are you investing that? That's doing horrible. It's quote, doing horrible. Yeah, it's doing horrible. It's only up 12%, not 28, damn it. Right. What's wrong with you? Paula, to bring you into this discussion, when I say the phrase owning an index fund does not provide you with diversification, what are some examples of that? Well, if a person were to own an index fund that only represented the small cap value, then you're certainly not diversified. To OG's point, if you've got an S&P 500 index fund and two different funds that both track large cap U.S. companies, again, you're not diversified. So an index fund certainly is a basket of funds that provides you with more diversification than any individual stock or even like a basket of 18 or 30 or 50 or 100 individual stocks. Sure, absolutely. But getting diversification in insofar as the number of stocks represented in your portfolio is not the same thing as diversification insofar as asset classes are concerned or asset allocation is concerned. So that's kind of a long-winded way of saying owning an index fund itself will not provide you with asset allocation. You have to go out and get a bunch of index funds that asset allocate. The thing that scares me the most, Paula, though, or especially for new investors, is, is uh, sector funds. 
because mm-hmm. they'll hear the oil is way, way, way down. So they'll go buy an oil sector fund thinking that now I'm diversified and, you know, you're just getting crushed 40 different ways. Well, I think one of the better ways to handle that is to decide what portion of your portfolio uh, you want to put into those more speculative fund guesses. So do you want to put, let's say, no more than 10% of your portfolio into a combination of everything that you, that catches your shiny object syndrome? And that can include sector funds. It can include, you know, whatever catches your attention. But as long as you limit the total amount of your portfolio, then the overall damage won't be that bad. The fourth myth on here, and this is the last one we're going to cover because the fifth one is obvious. I'll go over it for everybody when we get there. But uh, the fourth myth, U.S. and international stocks are closely correlated, so there's no diversification benefit in owning both. You talked about this earlier, OG, which is why I want to go right back to you, owning U.S. and international. It says here, you were talking about the one benefit is is you want assets aren't correlated, and yet this piece says that U.S. and international still 85% correlated. Okay, 85%, that's fine, but that's not 100%. If you look at small companies versus mid-sized companies, people think sometimes that's diversification, but a mid-cap and a small cap, 98% correlated. So that's almost virtually the same thing. But there, you don't recommend having both, I know. No, because that's the same thing. I mean, you're almost, almost identically the same thing based on that. But when it comes to international, just think about all the companies that are producing goods and services that you don't even know exist in countries you couldn't find on a map. Those places are producing profits. And some of them, back to our discussion about which ones are going to do the best, you know, which 4% of them are going to do do well over the next 100 years. I don't have any idea. You know, a shipping company in Singapore may be the best international holding there is. I'll never find it in a million years. Neither will you. So you got to have an international investment in there. Now, What's the right percentage? So you have 20% international, 50, 18, 30? I don't know. That's going to be unique to you. Some people like to just go straight down what the GDP is for the countries. U.S. produces 52% of the world's production, give or take. I got 52% of my, my money in the U.S. But you know what? A lot of countries, a lot of investors in different countries have tons of home bias. There was a study not too long ago about Norwegian investors. Almost all of them invest in Norway. I remember that story. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they know. Back to that point. So just like they could benefit from having investments in China and the United States, we can benefit from having investments in Norway and, you know, China. Miranda's all in on Thailand. Aren't you? Sure. Thailand, (laughs) India. I do have an emerging market ETF though, because I I think, you know, it adds something extra to my portfolio and and is compatible with my goals. I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but Miranda, that's that's one of my favorite places to invest just because I think that that's, it, it just makes sense to me that there's so much growth that will come from those places. Yeah. I don't want to miss out. And honestly, that's uh, what I'm banking on, like a decent chunk of the growth in my portfolio coming from is-, yeah, is Which means you do, all, you do have 90% emerging markets then, don't you? Oh, yeah, definitely. No, no, I do not. That 90% emerging market and 10% high yield bonds. You know, right. for the safety. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yes, for the safety. For the safety and income. No. Uh, myth, myth number five, market timing is necessary in addition to diversification. Paula, does anybody that listens to this, you think they really believe that, that we got to get the timing right? 
I hope not. If there's anyone listening to this who thinks that, that, then this is probably the first episode of this show that they've listened to. Because if you've listened to uh, Stacking Benjamins for any length of time, I know you haven't learned anything. But if there's one thing that you might have learned, it's that. Then again, being uh, somebody who goes on Internet forums and Miranda and OG, this goes to you guys, too. I mean, how many times do we hear somebody ask the question, somebody who you know should know better goes, you know, I just don't feel like this is the time I should put money in the market. I should probably wait a few months, maybe till after the election or you know, after the next down. thing. Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> My favorite thing to say to that, by the way, is when, when people say, well, I'm waiting for the market to, you know, for there to be a little bit of a pullback. I just say you missed it. It was March 23rd. <laughs> right. It happened already. <laughs> But where were you March 23rd? Pulling your hair out because nobody in their right mind on March 23rd went, you know what I should do? I should definitely get a home equity loan, leverage myself to the hilt, and dump money in the market on margin <laughs> because it's going nowhere but up from here. Folks. <laughs> no one said that. Of course they didn't. Why? Because it was in the middle of like the worst thing imaginable. And so what happened? You just followed your plan, you did what was right, and lo and behold, six months later, you're back to even maybe a little bit ahead or a little behind. That was the right thing to do. So everybody talks a big game about doing that, but it doesn't happen real. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I actually have a chunk of cash that I usually have off to the side. It's basically the excess from my short, the short-term savings that I have for like short-term emergency stuff. So kind of the excess on top of the three to four weeks I have in my short-term emergency savings. So if I have any excess there, I'll let it sit. And if the market drops by a certain percentage, and I have a percentage that the market has to drop by, then I'll buy some extra stuff. But I never stop dollar cost averaging in. I yeah. never pull back. I keep with my plan. And if I've got a little extra and the market's dropped by a certain percentage, then I'll go ahead and put that extra into play. But, but yeah. far more people in the <laughs> middle of March and April took yeah. money out of the market than did put money in the market. It's and I know true. that that's I'm, happened. A lot of people did put money in, but the vast majority of people switched and put all their new contributions and in fixed income and all that sort of stuff. So it's fine. I, every time you said short, I kept on thinking you were going to say my short trading positions. And I'm like, well, you're way more aggressive than I thought. That's pretty... No. I, I like that. Like, oh, no, no. Miranda's way too boring for that. My, my short option calls the other day. I've got some profits aside from that. <laughs> Nope, nope. See, you got me pegged as the boring one. <laughs> Miranda, but your approach makes a lot of sense to me because ultimately what you're doing is you're increasing your level of contributions. And so if you think of contributions rather than timing being the single biggest determinant of long-term portfolio success, essentially what you're doing is you're taking the natural inclination to be a contrarian market timer and using that as motivation to increase contributions above and beyond what you normally would have invested. So I think that's the reason that that approach makes a lot of sense and why I think that will ultimately succeed is at the end of the day, you're upping your contributions. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like I said, I didn't stop doing my regular thing. I still kept the automatic investments going. So uh, let's wrap up this segment, guys, and we'll have our guest of honor, Miranda, go last. Uh, Paula, what's our biggest takeaway from today's discussion on diversification and myths? Don't assume that just because you hold one or two index funds, that means that you're diversified. Index funds are great, but you also need to diversify among different asset classes. OG? Yeah, I would look at it from the perspective of, you know, you've got to build your investment plan based on what your long-term goals are. And that's going to involve lots of different positions from lots of different places. 
Miranda, you've got the last word. Oh, my gosh. Well, I think Paula and OG are both right. And I would just add to that, know why something's in there and know where it fits in and whether it's truly diversified. Well, you know, I'm super excited about this next segment. When we started Stacking Benjamins a long time ago, and it's gone through a few iterations, I immediately went out looking for a community of people that were doing this thing. And we all the time get letters and uh, voicemails from people who are asking, I want to start a blog, or I want to start a podcast, or I want to start to do videos. What do you advise me to do? And the one thing I advise everybody to do is to find your community. And when it comes to people who are independent people working online, starting just with a couple ideas, if you want to surround yourself with like-minded people, there's an industry conference called FinCon. And this year, like every other conference, FinCon is going to be virtual which might be a good way to kind of dip your toe in the water before you jump completely in. So while you won't get the full experience this year of a face-to-face -face FinCon, we thought this was the perfect time to talk to two of the ladies behind FinCon. Let's say hello to Jessica Bufkin and Libby Gifford. And on my dad's shortwave radio from FinCon, it's my good friends, Jessica Bufkin and Libby Gifford. How are you, ladies? Good, Joe. How are you doing? Well, I'm great besides the sheltering thing, but, you know, besides that, it's going well. And sadly, Jessica, we'll start with you. Usually, we're going to talk a little FinCon. Usually, FinCon's a great place where people meet in person. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen this year. It is not. And I'm really sad about that because we would normally, I don't know what's to, we'd be like 10 days out from FinCon right now. And instead we're about two months out from a virtual event, but we are not going to be meeting in person in Long Beach. And I'm sad about that. Let's sure. talk about the origins of FinCon though. Can you tell me how FinCon got started? Sure. In 2011, it was a group of personal finance bloggers who were all meeting online and talking. And Philip Taylor, the founder of FinCon, decided he wanted to take a risk and bring them all together in a small Marriott hotel in Schaumburg, Illinois, outside Chicago, and just hope that they may all want to show up and hang out, talk shop, and talk about creating content online. And they did. And then we have just consistently grown every year. It's kind of gone from the original financial bloggers conference, because that about 10 years ago, Ago, that was one of the main mediums to now it's anyone who's creating content online in the personal finance space. So blogger, podcaster, YouTuber, author, freelancer, uh, brands come also. So anyone who wants to talk about how to create better content, promote that content and profit from it online, that's the typical FinCon attendee. And so this would have been, would have been our 10th year in Long Beach. Uh, but it'll be our 10th year online. <laughs> so, and then next year we'll celebrate it in a decade when we all get together. But that's also part of the reason why I think you're calling it FinCon X. Yeah. It has a little bit to do. FinCon X, the X factor, the X we don't know, <laughs> the X of the decade. I mean, plug in what you want to for the X part, but yeah, yeah. FinCon X. It's a virtual event. This year could be X Files. It could be. That's how weird it is, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true. For sure. 
Uh, Libby, this thing has grown from my understanding the first year, a couple hundred people to now thousands mm-hmm. of people. If somebody has a brand new brand or they're even thinking about having a brand new brand, what type of stuff are they going to get out of FinCon? Yes. We like to say we're a digital marketing event. So if you're creating content and you want to learn, like Jessica was saying, if you need help making better versions of what you're working on or starting for the first time, skills in that area, if you need to figure out how to grow your own audience, come and learn about how to do that. If you are already making something great and you want to know how to monetize it, uh, we're a place to come to do that. So we like to say we help you out with creating, promoting, and profiting from what you're already putting out there online. Um, And we also do have some really beginner level stuff. So if you are just thinking about starting a platform or starting a blog or a podcast or YouTube to talk about finance stuff, come and learn what it takes to get something like that going. Um, we always have some very beginner level content that speaks to those folks too. What What are some of the, the main struggles you see brand new people have when they get into this industry? Some of it is they look around and they see there are a lot of people who are doing some personal finance content and and why would they have anything additional to add? So understanding that they have a positive money message to put out into the world and that everybody needs to hear their voice as well. So one is, is just understanding that there's room for all of us at the table and your money message is yours and your audience could be same or different or shared with other people. Collaboration is another thing that we see. And then also sometimes people look out on the internet and think, I don't know where to start. There's so much stuff out here. So we kind of give them some beginner level tracks that will, some are workshops where they can come in with their laptop and walk away with a, I can think of Steve Stewart doing his intro to podcasting and like walk away with a plan to start their own podcast. So there's a variety of things that people who are new to the personal finance content creation space can find some information on at FinCon. It's funny over the years at FinCon, as I've attended, I've known this, but I think a misconception people have from the outside is that this is a place where people are going to learn a lot about finance. It really is about the business of finance. Libby, speak to that about the the business stuff people are going to learn. Yeah. So, you know, we like to sometimes say we're agnostic. Like, so anybody talk about anything online could come to this event and learn how to get their message out there further. We just like to say, this is the niche of personal finance. We're not necessarily teaching the money part. You guys are already doing that and already know that part, but we want to teach you how to elevate what you're teaching. We want to teach you how to find an audience to that. We want to help you connect with brands that you can build partnerships with. Um, That business side definitely exists. Um, We want to help you collaborate with other creators to elevate your business in that way. Uh, So those are some ways that I think business happens at our event. Again, like we're not trying to teach people the money portion. We think the people who come to our event are kind of already working on that. We want to teach them how to take what their message is and get it out there further. I think a good example of that is like, so I'm buying a house right now and I've been getting quotes from insurance agents for my homeowner's insurance. And so today I was getting a quote from a guy and he was asking me what I did. So then of course I always have this interesting, my, explaining what I do is really difficult to people. <laughs> Director of events. Well, what kind of event? Oh, it's conference, you know, so like this whole thing of, you know, I talk to guys who talk to me on shortwave radio from, oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> Hey, hey, I'm sitting right here, Jessica. I'm sitting right here. 
<laughs> so, or in their mom's basement. So it always leads to these fun conversations about FinCon. But all that to say, today he was like, hey, that's interesting. I'm in insurance and I'm my buddy and I are thinking of starting a podcast and talking about small businesses in the area. He was like, I'm going to check out your event because I could learn more about starting that podcast. And especially in the niche that he's in, he understood that like FinCon might be a place where he could get more information and network with other people. So I think that's a good example for people who are coming into the industry who may not know a lot. Let's dig in then into the nuts and bolts of this year's FinCon. Tell me the particulars. When is it? How is it going to work? This year, it's virtual since we did have to cancel FinCon 2020 in Long Beach. Uh, virtual will be Friday, November 13th. So it'll be very easy to understand, to remember uh, that FinCon X will take place on Friday, November the 13th. So right now, registration is free. So you can attend, see the live stream of the main stage, which are what we call our big idea talks. Joe, you've done a, one in the past for us where they're just short, concise, compelling content. I've heard from people, topic. though, not to interrupt sure. you, Jessica, but I've heard that that was probably the best big idea talk that FinCon's ever had. I mean, I'm, I mean what, yours, yours was? Well, that's what I've heard. I've oh, heard okay. that. Oh, okay. I've heard other things. So, you know, <laughs> I cannot confirm nor deny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, Libby, However. I'm sitting right here. I'm right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just work with me, people. Uh, work with me. <laughs> <laughs> so the free registration, which is available up until the time of the event, is you can get the main stage live stream filled with big idea talks on create, promote, and profit. We'll also have networking with platforms, niches, FinCon locals, so you can even connect with people in your area or region or city. And that would be the free level. And then you can level up to the premium, which would also give you access to all the breakout sessions, as well as mentoring. And Libby, I think- Oh, you give like a digital magazine. Yeah. yeah. Facebook group access. So you can get and in then, and collaborate with folks. Yeah. And then the next level would be 149, which would be a premium pro, which would give you pro networking. So if you came to schedule meetings with business, with brands at the event and one-on-one time, that would be with the kind of similar to our pro networking pass at the live event. It's funny because when I was just beginning, I'd switched over from being a financial planner to financial media. I remember thinking to myself, can I afford this? Like, is this something that I can afford to do? And I remember Len Penzo, who our fans know, because he's mm -hmm. on the show every week. Len told me, he said, FinCon pays for itself just in all the people you meet. And sure enough, that first FinCon I went to paid for itself on the first day. Of course, that was meeting face-to-face. -face. Online, though, going for free, I think, takes away all of that pressure of having to make up some of the money. Yeah. If you've never been before and you've wanted to check it out and maybe you were limited because you couldn't get away and come to the event, maybe financially a pass was a little bit more challenging. This would give you a, a great taste for FinCon to help you decide if you did want to purchase a live pass or an in-person pass for 2021. Basically, FinCon X is going to be like a highlight reel of a live event. So all the things that people love and know about FinCon, um, including maybe some lobby con virtually, which if you're a FinCon insider, people hang out in the lobby till all hours of the night. I don't know. We're going to go all hours of the night, but <laughs> we're trying to recreate even a virtual version, a highlight reel of what people love about FinCon. So the free access can be helpful if you're either a new and want to think, you know, or try to decide if you need to spend this money or even if the money has been a hindrance in the past, it's a great way to just kind of get your feet wet and see if it's for you. But to be clear, Libby, you're going to get the big ideas for free, that yes. tactical stuff, those nuts and bolts mm -hmm. things, those things you will need to pay for. 
Yeah. Yeah. The big ideas you'll get for free breakout sessions will be in the premium, which is just like $49. That'll give you all the breakout sessions, but the big ideas are coming in the free, the free registration. And uh, where can people register? FinConExpo.com backslash FinConX. Awesome. And you know what? We will have links on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Jessica and Libby, thanks for hanging out and talking FinCon with me. I can't wait to see what the online version looks like this year. Thanks, Thanks Joe. Appreciate it. Hey, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And did you know that today is, ironically, National Binge Day? Which is funny because the crew just finished talking about diversification. You know, honestly, people think binging and diversification are mutually exclusive, but that thinking couldn't be more misguided. Before I speak some truth to you about why that thought is oh so wrong, let's get to today's trivia. In the spirit of binging, I think a Netflix question would be appropriate. I'm sure by now all of you have watched Tiger King. That documentary just so happens to be the fifth most watched Netflix original of 2020, making it very profitable for the streaming company. So the question is, how many people watched Tiger King? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can get engrossed in your next binge-worthy show. All right. Uh, For those of you who are new to Stacking Benjamins, we have a year-long contest between our three contributors, which are OG, Paula, and Len. And today, Miranda, you get to play on behalf of Len Penzo. And I know... Oh <laughs> Len's going to come after me now. <laughs> <laughs> Len will come after you. I, between you and Len, I think you've got him. Just saying. <laughs> so I think he'll be very happy you're playing for him. But there is a little bit of pressure, Miranda, because Len has 13 points. Paula, with her big epic win on pop culture which I don't know how the hell Paula scored on the commercials game, (laughs) but Paula has 12, which puts OG in last with 11. OG though, that means you get to decide, would you like to guess on, on uh, Tiger King? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That was quick last. And then Paula, you want to go in the middle or first? I'll go in the middle. All right. Which means Miranda, uh, you do get to kick this thing off to the show. Did you watch Tiger King? I did watch Tiger King. (laughs) And? Love it. Um, it was a thing that happened and I couldn't look away from. I heard it's like a, I haven't seen it actually. I heard it's like a train wreck in slow motion. As somebody who grew up in Idaho and was part of the dominant religion in Utah, I found Mr. Polygamy very interesting. So (laughs) here we we are. (laughs) But, but I mean, it was, it was interesting. It was fascinating. I don't need to watch it again and I don't need to watch whatever follow up they're doing. uh, Oh, I didn't know there was a follow up. Oh yeah. They're, they're planning on doing a follow up with this uh, Baskins person, I'm assuming. Well, she's, she says she's not going to be part of it because she felt uh, ambushed. I know more about Tiger King. You than do. Should. This is this is great. Well, but let's get to it. How many people do you think watch Tiger King? Oh gosh, I'm going to go with thirty million. Thirty million people. OG, how about you? Uh, I'm last. Thank you very much. Try again. Uh, oh, you are last, <laughs> <laughs> Paula. I tried. I tried to let you go in the middle. But uh, Paula, what do you, Paula, I'm, I'm, you're just so used to me being in last place all the time. (laughs) This is new. I'm like, wait, Paula hasn't gone yet. What's up? Uh, Now, I'm sure, Paula, you watch Tiger King. 
Every I minute. Did. I did watch Tiger did King. Did you really? Um, yes, I did. I absolutely who, did. Who are you becoming this year? <laughs> like all right. the old jokes are gone. I don't know who you are anymore. <laughs> yes, it was so perfectly emblematic of 2020. I watched Tiger King while I was recovering from COVID-19. Of course. Like, what is more spring 2020 than that? <laughs> well, it's speaking about uh, a train wreck in slow motion. You can't turn it off. You literally probably couldn't turn it off. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't have the energy to grab the remote. <laughs> right. Well, how many people do you think watch Tiger King? I'm going to guess 80 million. 80 million people. So, oh, gee, that gives you some uh, wiggle room there between 30 and 80. Yeah, it does. I have no idea what Tiger King is, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I would not enjoy it. Doesn't sound like it has a lot of explosions. So... Gosh, how many subscribers? Do we get to know how many subscribers Netflix has? Uh, no. I mean, if you came to the table with that, that'd be great. But Miranda, were there any explosions in Tiger King? Actually, yes, there was. There was an explosion. Ooh, <laughs> there, <all right>. there. <laughs> there are tanks well, and explosions. I don't know if, I'm not really sure if there was an explosion, it. but there was definitely a fire and living creatures died. I've, I don't necessarily want to see that. I've heard the word dumpster fire associated with that show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. So is it greater than... 80 million, is it less than 30 or is it somewhere in between? Um, I feel like Netflix has a lot of subscribers, like tons. Is this U.S. only or is this? Uh, uh, this is this is of everybody. Everyone. Okay. Well, if it's uh, U.S. only, Paul is going, going, oh, crap, at 80 million. I mean, that well, would be. Yeah, I went U.S. Shoot. Now I'm going, oh, crap, as well, if it's everybody. <laughs> So, Sorry, Len. I'm going to say greater than 80 million. Paula, you've done it to me a million times. 80 million and one. Bam. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd love to tell you who's right right now, but of course, we're going to make you wait for it. So we'll be right back. Well, if you're a business owner like me, you don't need me telling you that running a business is tough. Love making podcasts. Running the business, that's a whole different set of skills but you might be making it harder on yourself than necessary. Don't let QuickBooks and spreadsheets slow you down anymore. Time to upgrade to NetSuite. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. Ditch the spreadsheets and all those old software programs you've outgrown. You got 50 different things. Why wouldn't you have just one dashboard to help you run your company? So now's the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need all in one dashboard instantaneously. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of million in revenue, save time and money with NetSuite. Join over 21,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash stacker. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash stacker, netsuite.com slash stacker. Well, Miranda, in hindsight, with everybody at 80 million, 80 million at one, you're, you're a little light. I'm really low, apparently. Um <laughs> I don't know what to do. I'm terrible at these large numbers. And <laughs> <laughs> let's just hear the answer. And and I'm sorry, Len. I'll, Mar buy you, I'll buy you a beer next time I see you. Miranda was really to throw out. It's more than five. I'm sure it's more than five. 
Yeah. Uh, Paula, you got 80 million, which means you've got a lot of wiggle room between you and Miranda there. Yeah, exactly. I still have a, a nice broad range. Yeah. So we'll see how that pans out. You got 25 million. I'll take 25 million. Oh, gee, sky's the limit. 80 million and one. No, no clue whatsoever. Uh, no idea how to base this on. Well, here we go. We're about to find out. Doug, what's our answer? trivia nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And before the break, I was telling you how binging and diversification aren't mutually exclusive. So get this. Let me prove it. The more foamy beverages you consume, the more it allows you to binge nachos. And the more nachos you have, the less reason you'll have to leave your couch so you can watch more Netflix and play more Xbox games without ever having to get up. Some people call me a genius, and you know, I mean, who am I to disagree? As you can now see, I'm sure, binging is truly the heart of diversification. Now that I've rocked your world and taken your binging to the next level, let's get back to today's trivia. Question was, how many people have watched Tiger King? Would you believe a whopping 64 million people have been captivated by Joe Exotic? That is wild! Almost as wild as it's going to get down here when I get my binge on. See ya! Whoa! So does that mean I actually win since I didn't go over? Is this... Is this is we this, had is to get rid of that but because of the fact that we got huge pushback from people who were violently opposed to the without going over rule. We were just closer now and Paula <laughs> takes the day. Nice. Wow. Coming up from behind to capture a lead and then and then uh, keep it growing. <laughs> Whatever it is people people do when they capture leads. <laughs> well, I, I just, oh, gee, what the hell's up with Paula and pop culture? This is two in a row. Yeah. I feel disappointed for myself. And, I feel uh, like there's I feel like there's Paula pre-COVID and Paula post-COVID. Is this is this a thing where it like changes everything, OG? Maybe we should go back to like, uh, since I just finished watching The Crown, maybe we should go back to like royal family <laughs> trivia. Maybe, maybe, I can, maybe I can catch oh, up. I would ace that. No, I think it'd be awesome, Paula, if you knew nothing about it anymore. Like if it were God, <laughs> like, just like, who's hair? Automized from my brain. <laughs> yes. We don't know what the long-term effects of COVID are, but we're starting to see. <laughs> you lose all memory of the, the British royal family. Why do we keep talking about Harry? Who's Harry? Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of magnifiedmoney.com. You know what happens, Miranda, when you go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money? I do not. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be just the best holiday for you because you're going to find that those financial products, people that use brick and mortar bank products use, they're going to find out that there's way better stuff out there. Over 92% of the products available online are all ranked at Magnify Money, whether it's savings accounts, checking accounts, student loans, consolidation loans. When it's time to get your financial house in order, head to magnifymoney.com. Use stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. And that tells them that we sent you. And if uh, sponsor ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So please use our link. Uh, today, we're going to help Jeff magnify his money. Say hi, Jeff. Hey, Joe and OG, this is Jeff from the Midwest. All right, so here it is. 
I've got a cushy gov job and I've been saving and investing like crazy. All my bills in retirement are set to auto. My raises go into my 401k. Been house hacking, have a conservative emergency fund and everything. But after years of getting to this point, I find myself thinking less and less about my finances. So I guess my question is, how do I stay motivated and what else can I do? Do I get a hobby or something? Or maybe I'd start looking into earning more instead of saving more? Well, thought I'd give you guys a shot since you're cheaper than therapy. Anyways, this medium t-shirt is fine and all, but if you have any stacking Benjamin's pants, I could really use some deeper pockets. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, and uh, way to get uh, way to get bigger pockets in there, as as well. Deeper pockets. Oh, did he say deeper, deeper pocket? Pockets. I thought he said but bigger he said pockets. pockets. But I thought about bigger pockets too. I, honestly, I went immediately to our friend Scott and Mindy. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but maybe listening to podcast a way to stay motivated. But Miranda, what advice do you have for Jeff? Because you know, you, you see this even with people who are just beginning the journey. They get really excited, as, as you have seen as well. I'm sure people pay a lot of attention for three or four months, and they're just like, oh, man, I got to take a break. It's too much. Now, I, I think his problem is that he's not worried about his money anymore, which is an awesome problem to have. And so he's trying to figure out how do I stay motivated to keep moving forward. And I say, first of all, if you're not worried about your money, go buy your own damn pants and uh, stop asking, <laughs> yeah. stop asking uh, there we and, go. an OG for uh, free pants. Where's Miranda been, OG? We should have had her here from the beginning. <laughs> But seriously, if you weren't in a government job, I'd say run for office, but that pesky hatch act gets in the way. Uh, but, you know, a hobby is a great idea. It'll keep you motivated. It'll give you something to do. And it might help you spend a little of that money you've been saving. So, but really, yes, we, we all want to feel purpose in life and we want to feel like we're doing good. I personally like to get involved in my community. I do some volunteering. It helps me feel good about things. And a little bit of charity, too, makes you uh, stay motivated to keep those finances. In fact, one of the reasons that I keep my money, you know, where it's at and have my plan. Part of my plan involves giving to local charities and helping local charities. And so that actually keeps me motivated to do right by my money because I want to leave that local legacy and make that difference where I live. So really think about what do you value? What really matters to you? You know, what makes you feel that sense of purpose? And then how can you use your money to enable that? How can you use your money management skills, what you have built up so far, what you plan to build up in the future? How can you use that to continue and do kind of a, I hate to use the word manifestation, but how can you use that to kind of support your values and support your purpose. Well, I like what Miranda's saying, OG. Is it time for Jeff to widen the lens? I mean, the biggest thing that you can do to help your motivation is to increase the standards. You know, so you're on track for this whatever goal of I'm going to retire in 20 years, ho hum, off I go and I'm maxing out my stuff. Make it more challenging. That's how you can stay motivated. Try to figure out a way to retire without having to lean on your government pension. Because guess what? Not saying it's going to go away. But what if it did? You know, do you want to be trying to solve that problem at 56 when you've got three years to go before retirement? Or do you want to solve that problem in advance? Like Miranda said, if you start thinking about other people that you can benefit with your benevolence, that increases the standard. And if you try to make it a little bit more challenging, 
that can help you stay engaged. You know, one of the things that I like to do for clients from time to time is to say, you know, hey, you're good. You're on track for retirement at 60. That's wonderful. Let's try to be on track for retirement at 58, but spending 20% more money. And like, once you get done with that, you know, you got to think about it. Like every year that goes by, you're getting closer to that. But if we keep pulling the goal closer this way as well and adding money to it, eventually you get to the point where you're 49 and you don't need the pension whatsoever from the, from the G and you can just say, well, I don't, I, I can go, I'm free to do whatever I want to do then. And that's really what the goal is, is to, is to increase your amount of freedom. So, um, I would say that the best thing that you could do is just increase your standards. Maybe try to get smaller pants. Just get he a still wants those deep pockets. He still wants those pockets. Like cargo shorts. Yeah. Paula, not that I'm not enthralled by uh, talking <laughs> about cargo shorts, but what do you think? First of all, if you're looking for pants with lots of very deep pockets, scrubs, like hospital scrubs, medical scrubs, they've got tons of pockets and they're super comfortable. Like, I, I don't know why more non-medical people don't wear them. So that's my pants recommendation coming from Paula Pant. Paula Pant's pants recommendation. <laughs> Did that like just a, get meta? Like Instagram. Yeah, as I say, it sounds like an Instagram uh, advertisement. Pants by Paula Pant. Paula- <laughs> you should have like, have you, you ever thought Paula about Pant's having... Pants? I don't think you can do that one. I oh, think it's... you need your own line now. Your own line of, of Paula Pant scrubs. That's what I was thinking, Miranda. I... Why wouldn't you have afford anything pants? Right. Just like, just do pants. Like, like, yeah, do the thing. Like some nice monograms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, pa- yeah, sweatpants with afford anything emblazoned like over the butt. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. I would wear or, those. Or, or things that just, I, I mean, I would, I would want them that just <laughs> says. Created your own. You, that, that just says, um, you know, you can't afford this, but you can afford <laughs> else <laughs> <laughs> you can't afford everything <laughs> maybe the front of it will say you you can afford anything and then the back like uh, across the butt it will say like dot 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 but can you afford this <laughs> yes <laughs> oh that was that, i think that i think that might have been a bridge too far that might have been a bridge too far but paula what are you thinking so i agree with og make it more challenging in order to stay motivated Adding a new goal into the mix could achieve that. So, you know, he's talking about on track for retirement, has a good, great emergency fund, like all of these goals, basically he's accomplished. So I think that in order to make it more challenging, adding in a new goal. So for example, saying, you know what, I want to create a scholarship fund for low income students and I want to be able to spend $5,000 a year, like feeding that scholarship fund that, you know, that's housed by my local university, um, something like that. Or I want to sponsor 10 dogs at the local dog shelter. And, and, you know, like what, whatever that new goal is, create that goal. And then you, you have a, a bigger dollar amount to strive for, which is going to make you more motivated. Like then, then you have to amp up for that because now you've got this new goal that increases the amount that you'll need. I love these answers because I really love the idea of creating a legacy and also thinking about your community. I find that the more that I do that, just, I don't know, the more, the more it gives back, you know, the more that, uh, it takes this, uh, general apathy that I sometimes feel. And it's hard to get apathetic when you're helping somebody else, uh, do something. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, the other thing is he also asked uh, in his voicemail about earning more and that's a great path to go down because yeah. starting a, even a business on the side, like an evening and weekend type of endeavor, you'll 
learn so many new skills and it will challenge your brain in all of these new and different ways that that engagement alone, like that intellectual grappling, that curiosity, the figuring out something new, that keeps you engaged right then and there. And then if it goes well, you're actually making money at it too, which is like a bone, you know, a bonus that helps you stay motivated over the long run. What's really interesting to me is the idea of, uh, especially now during this time of COVID when so many people are losing their job, this idea of having a side hustle could be just new skills that you're picking up, which maybe you won't need, but how great would it be if something happens to your, to your main job to be able to lean on these other skills? So lots of stuff, hopefully for you to think about, Jeff, you got a question like Jeff had one head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And if you've just got a microphone on your phone, which if you talk on your phone, you do head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. You just hit the little record button and, uh, and there it is. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for today. Let's talk about what's going on where you guys live. OG got any big plans this weekend? Uh, yeah, you know, a little after school activity for that stuff's going on down here in Texas. So Yuppers, run around a little bit. Awesome. That's good. And uh, Paula, what's happening at Afford Anything? On the Afford Anything podcast, we aired an interview with Cal Newport. He is a professor at Georgetown University, and he talks about digital minimalism. So we, we live in this world where a lot of us are on social media, we're on email all the time, and there's this like relentless cycle of just keeping up with everything, with all the noise, with all the messages. So in our interview with him, we discuss digital minimalism, which is about how to call the time that you spend staring at a screen and spend more time on digital activities that align with your values. So we have that interview and we also have an interview with Michelle Singletary from the Washington Post about timeless financial lessons that she learned from her grandma. So all of that's on the Afford Anything podcast. All that stuff that Newport guy sounds like just horrible. I mean, I mean, who would want to spend less time <laughs> scrolling social media, more time doing stuff that aligns with your values? What's that about? <laughs> Seriously, I, I disagree with the premise. <laughs> it's just absolutely horrible. Miranda, I'm so glad you joined us today. Thanks so much for hanging out. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. It's uh, it's always fun to be in the basement. <laughs> it's it's always more fun when you're here. But you also, speaking of something that Jeff could do, if Jeff is looking for a sideline, he could learn how to become a freelance writer. And if there's anybody who knows freelance writing, I would say it's Miranda Marquit. And you not only are a freelance writer, you teach other people how to freelance write. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I recently launched with two other folks, the Freelance Writer Academy. We've got some fun stuff. Sign up for the course. Um, and then you get access to our monthly Q&As. So you actually get to pick our brains. And you also get access to regular webinars. The most recent webinar that you've missed because you weren't part of the Freelance Writer Academy is one on how to find gigs on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, what other types of things do people learn at the Freelance Writer Academy? Uh, just basics of how to uh, market yourself, how to, as a writer, we run the gamut from beginning, intermediate, and advanced coursework. So you can start at the beginning and learn the basics of here's how to choose your niche, here's how to set up your website, here's how to find your first client and get paid, to here's how to raise your rates, and here's how to market yourself, and then also here's how to create systems and even outsource so you can make even more money. 
That's freelancewriteracademy.com. And I, I wish you had had this when I started. I remembered, I remember when I switched careers and decided I was going to go into financial media and I started writing, I made like every mistake ever, like ever, <laughs> every, every single one. So freelancewriteracademy.com, we'll link to it on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. That's going to do it for today, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our roundtable. While it definitely makes sense to diversify, the application might be a little different than you think. It's not as simple as just buying a single fund and throwing your money in it. True diversification can pay dividends. Second, take a lesson from the FinCon team. Looking to get your side hustle going? Attend industry conferences. You won't regret it. And not only will you learn new skills, but you'll also gain the motivation you'll need to pull you through when things get difficult. But the big takeaway? Don't invite Joe's mom to your weekend binge session. In fact, she just kicked me out of the basement, told me to binge in my own house. Hey, lady. I don't have nearly enough snacks, so someone's getting her pantry raided, I'll tell you that. Nada, I said pantry raided. Pantry. You know what I was talking about. Okay, fine, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. Let me just do the credits first. Special thanks to Miranda for joining us on the roundtable today. You can find Miranda at MirandaMarquit.com. Extra bonus points if you can spell her last name. Also, you can find her at FreelanceWriterAcademy.com. Paula Pant appears courtesy of AffordAnything.com and the Afford Anything podcast. Also, a special thanks to Jessica Bufkin and Libby Gifford for joining us to discuss FinCon. You can find the next event for FinCon at FinConExpo.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Seahy, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm wondering if KY Jelly is actually made in Kentucky. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor.
All right, this is already 53 minutes, uh, so I think we're going to skip an after show on this one, unless somebody has something very exciting they would like to talk about. I don't have anything specific, but I think you're, I don't want to disappoint all the people who are waiting for the after show. <laughs> I, think, I think an after show, like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe this is pants, an after show. Pants recommendations? Do you know what I, do you know what I did one time? One time I accidentally left like a, a bunch of, I didn't realize it when I was editing, but I left like 10 minutes of silence at the end of the show. And because we do the after show, people just waited and waited. Wow. <laughs> Totally, you like rickroll everybody, huh? Wow, you did totally rickroll everybody. We we should have had. <gasps> that, oh, that could be the after me. show. Oh my gosh, you you could actually rickroll them. <laughs> and, and then at the very end, have have uh, have Rick. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I had a, I did have a um, when I broke up with the not boyfriend I sort of had um, earlier this in the summer. I was, he actually showed up out of nowhere at my house trying to get me to not break up with him. And that's always comfortable, by the way, disciplined. And, and, and I was on a meeting and so I was talking to him, the meeting ended and the song that they have in their waiting room was never going to give you up by Rick Astley. (laughs) So we had to have this very, very awkward conversation with never going to give you up, just playing on that tinny sound system in the background. (laughs) For like half an hour on this loop. It was exquisite, I guess. You had to have a talk about giving him up while never giving you up is blank. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was fun times. It was fun times. Uh, it's, it's almost as meta as Paula's pants. <laughs> Seriously, that that is going to be my new line of merchandise. So I subscribe to uh, Google, you know, Google Alerts. Like I subscribe to my own name in the form of Google Alerts. And every now oh, and then you're I'll that egotistical. About- you are that egotistical. I subscribe <laughs> to my own name. Who's googling me? Guess who's I- in Google again? Um, well, she she got notifi- <laughs> she got her own death notification. So what? I did. Yeah, I got my own death notification from Google Alerts. Uh, when right. when I had COVID, somebody eulogized. Some, they started yes. a Reddit thread. I had people write to me asking if you had died. <laughs> wow! Oh, I didn't only, know that. Only wow. every Friday when she realizes she's, <laughs> she's got to be on Stacky Benjamins again, right? <laughs> she dies a little inside. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the Google alerts, every now and again, I will get a Google alert about a pair of pants that has been uh, named by the designer as the Paula Pant. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Hopefully they're expensive. I would hate it if you got a Google alert that said Paula Pant's been, been <laughs> like 30% marked out. Discount rack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Going out of business. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses 
to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.